Ephesians uh, 1, 19 through 23. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in his age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Doug. I kind of debated whether I would, whether I would speak today. Um, one of the things I've noticed now with the death of both of my parents is, especially with my dad's passing, is I have emotions I don't understand. I feel things I don't even know what they are. And I don't even, I don't understand that. It's just a weird place to be. And uh, I'm, but I, I appreciate your prayer while I'm preaching. And I'm going to go further than that. I'm going to exhort you to pray while I'm preaching. Because the text that we're in right here, the text we just read, is a prayer. Paul is enumerating the things he is most earnest for. And in fact, the previous expression was, I am praying that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, that you may know the hope which you have been called to and his glorious inheritance in the saints. And, as Doug just read, what is the immeasurable power? That's the third, the third thing that he's praying for. And so, in light of that, in light of the fact I'm standing up here, in light of where my heart is a wreck, in light of everything, let's pray. Father, Father, open the eyes of my heart. All of us, all of our hearts. Let them, get them wide open. Help us to see. Help us to see these things, to see, to see your power, to see what it is we're hoping in, to see to see what, uh, what, what your glorious inheritance is, what these things mean, and how they're important for us. Father, it, it, the implication is, is, is if you don't answer our prayer, then I'm just prattling. I have nothing to say to these people unless you speak, unless you're the one working. Oh, Father, make, make your word effective with us. Our hope is in you. Pour out the Holy Spirit in this place. Forgive the sins of the one who speaks, for there are so many. And help us to see Jesus. Pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. There's one thing that Paul seems certain of, and that is without prayer, this business that we're doing right here, this business called church, this business called preaching, prayer, you name it, it's just, it's just going to fall flat. It's just not going to go anywhere. It's not going to do anything. It's just going to be another Sunday, right? For you and for me. It doesn't have to be like that, I don't think. But, but, uh, but we need to be praying, and I would encourage you, because of how vivid the prayers of Paul are, just in this text, I want you to, do you, know, do you know that when I'm preaching, you should be praying? Or when your pastor's preaching, or any man is preaching, any, anyone is preaching, you should, a part of you should be praying. You should be praying for yourself, first of all, that you'll be able to hear it and understand it and apply it. You should pray for the one speaking, that he will be able to communicate, and then pray for everybody around you, who you are sure, no doubt, need to hear this more than you do. That was a joke. Have you ever done that? You're listening to a sermon, you're like, man, I wish that 
Dave was here. He really needs this. When you, whenever you think that, it's probably a good sermon for you to start listening more carefully too. But what am I looking at today? Well, as I was, as I was kind of mulling over the text, I kind of, kind of stumbled on something. I've mean, talked about this a number of times with you. This idea of Jesus being seated in the heavenly places. And then one of the exciting things we thought about is we saw was like, we're seated with him too. Like, we're seated in him. We're blessed in the heavenly places. We've been looking at some of that. But one of the things that I became aware of is this idea that, all right, so posture. Jesus is seated. It says it at least half a dozen or more times in the Bible. Uh, in Matthew 5, before he begins speaking of the Sermon on the Mount, you know what it says? He sat down. Now, this posture of Jesus, this posture that's being presented to us, right there in verse 20. You see there in verse 20? He has seated him in the, heavenly, in the heavenlies. Uh, this posture, there's other postures that are described in, in, in glory too, in the heavenly realms. Can you think of some of them? There's, only, there's not that many, but Jesus is described there, and he's got different postures. Anybody remember what, what his other classic posture in heaven is? One is he's seated. What's the other one? One of those famous ones. The posture of Jesus in heaven. How does Stephen see him? Does anybody remember? What does Stephen see? He sees him standing. Standing in heaven. As if this detail was important. As if it was important that Jesus was standing, not sitting at that moment. Why is that important? My heart began to kind of feed on that. We can go a step further. It is written, it says in Romans 8, that when he, was at, he is at the right hand of God, it doesn't say seated, and he says that he's interceding for us. Well, that's interesting, because intercession is a posture, isn't it? Isn't there a posture at intercession? You know, it's funny, in heaven, Christ is never described as kneeling or, as his, or face down on the, on the ground like he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I think that's in Matthew. In Matthew, he's face down, in Luke, he's, he's kneeling. But the question that began to pop for me, wait a second, what is being communicated to us that could be encouraging to us about Jesus' posture? Uh, I never liked the posture question because I was constantly being corrected for my posture. Anybody else here constantly being, stop slouching. Oh, gosh. Gut in. Head up. Chin down. <laughs> I don't know. If you, did you have aunts, uncles, parents that do this to you constantly? You can tell it did nothing for me. You can, I have terrible posture. I, I, I constantly <sighs> hunched over like this. But that's the way I usually think about it, is, is, is this idea of just, just kind of thinking about my posture. But then as I, as I was thinking about this, Jesus' body and the postures of his body in glory, all sorts of strange things started popping in my head. Because, because these, these, these positions have cultural relevance that we don't necessarily feel right away. We don't necessarily get in our community. We're not as posture sensitive as some cultures are. In the ancient world, if you said you were seated, oh, it, it, had, it was packed with a claim for authority. It is packed with that. To be standing is totally... Uh, We'll unpack each one of these as we go through it. It's a completely different kind of meaning. It's like in the prodigal son when the father is standing. It's, it's a position that you don't take if you're the person of grandeur. If you're the person who is the king, you don't stand. Everybody else does. And so, uh, and so I wanted to look at this and this idea of interceding and this idea that, that Jesus has a posture of intercession in heaven. 
And I, okay, so this unpacks some interesting problems right away. Look, look, look at verse 20, it says he is seated in the heavenlies, but then look at verse 23. Because then we come to this, the, as the, there's a crescendo to Paul's syntax, as he unfolds the glory of Jesus, right? And then he describes him as what? He who fills all in all. And, and we're kind of introduced to a fundamental and strange and kind of odd question that sits nestled at the heart of the Christian conviction and the Christian, the Christian idea and the biblical idea. And that is the idea that Jesus is local. He has a local presence. He's seated. I mean, seated means you're seated somewhere on something, correct? And yet he fills all in all. Oh, something's, hap something's happening here in the text. Something that's, it's almost like a little bit of a puzzle. Those things don't fit together, do they? Are you seated? Are you everywhere? Which one is it? And this problem, this problem is really exacerbated by how strange and odd the Christian claims really are. I don't know where you're coming from tonight. I don't know if you are familiar with Christian claims, but they are bizarre. They go beyond bizarre. Talk about letting your freak frond fly. Christianity is strange. And this isn't just the only reason. The belief is that a God became human. The God who made humans becomes a human. But in that moment, in the moment of becoming a human, the eternal, unchangeable, infinite God changes forever. The God-man is a new thing in the universe. It's new to God. It's new to the universe. The God-man. And that's why we talk about, and that's why Christianity is not... Um, it's not participating in mythic storytelling when it talks about a virgin having a baby. A lot of people go, oh gosh, I can't believe you Christians buy that stuff. You're missing the whole point. It's not about metachlorians. Good grief, that just made me so angry when he did that. When George Lucas made Darth Vader born of a virgin, I just went to tear my hair out. It's not metachlorians. But the idea of the magical birth or the mystical birth or the, uh, the miracle birth is an ancient idea, right? But Christian, we don't participate in the ancient ideas of paganism. The idea being formulated and articulated and brought to us by God is that I need to make a person, we call him Jesus, who will be God and man, made of flesh but not by flesh in order to present to the universe a new person who can save it all, who can do something nobody else can do. So Christ in his physical body and his eternal person as one person can be both seated and fill all in all. I love this tension between the posture and, and guess what this means, actually, the claim I'm making, and those of you who are scientific in any way or understand how weird a claim it is, I'm claiming that Jesus has flesh right now. The reason we don't have a body in the tomb is not because it was laid somewhere else. It's because he lives now. He has a local presence right now in the throne room of the eternal God. 
Isn't that wild? At the same time, at the same time, in order to kind of deal with this riddle now presented by this new person, this new person now is appointed and, 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 and exalted and, and put on a throne. Oh, oh my goodness. We, we're, we're, in the, we're, in the, we're in the world of new categories, you see? Uh, Calvin, Calvin tried to come up with this, and this is, this is really for, uh, this is really for your, uh, uh, what do you call it, trivia night, all right? This is, this is it. But it, it's called the, the extra Calvinisticum. Because, it's because, because Calvin was trying to understand with these claims we were making, how does, how does Christ both extend, I don't know if you heard this or not, but we recently saw for the first time a single star that's 12 billion light years away. They called it Arendelle. It's kind of cool. After the uh, Tolkien, uh, Tolkien's uh, word, and, which is based on an old Norse word, but it's, it means morning star. And, and it, we finally saw the star 12 billion light years away, all right? Jesus is there as much as he's here. <laughs> and yet he sits, he is in a body. He inhabits the body of a human male. But he is not just inhabits, he is the human male. He is Jesus. He doesn't inhabit it. He is that person forever. A bunch of things bang around in my head when I think about this. Because one of the things we don't recognize is when God decided to love you and me, he decided to change who he was in one some sense that I can barely understand. He was without change, became the changing creature. What? Oh my goodness. So what I want to do tonight was I just wanted to, I wanted to kind of present a meditation because wherever Jesus' posture is in heaven is also about his work everywhere in his omnipresence. Even he is locally present. He's locally present with his Father in heaven. He is now immediately and completely and eternally and we present here with power right now as we speak. So he can be both seated and fill all in, in all. So the thesis I wanted to kind of work at and kind of open up tonight by, by, the, by the grace of the Lord is, is what this posture means for us. About it and about his work everywhere. And I want to begin about Jesus being seated. Because Jesus' body is seated, just like it says there in the text, we can know first that everywhere in the universe, he is in control. And it's just, it's just literally that simple of a concept. So, this idea, it's a broad idea of being seated. Um, the idea, and, and the idea, especially ripe in, in, this, in this text, is that he is seated because he's done <laughs> he's seated because the work is finished why does the king seat why does the king sit like this it's, it's an aspect of his of his majesty isn't it it's an aspect of his majesty that he does not have to rise for anything he is seated he is done he is king even from a sitting position he has control over everything that's the nature of the majesty of a king sitting in a chair but still being the one controlling what happens on the edge of his kingdom it's kind of cool isn't it that accentuates, it's like a foil. It, 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 it expands for us for our understanding how, how much his greatness is. And there's something really gorgeous about the God-man now seated and enthroned. And, and, and I, 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 as I was kind of unpacking this in my heart, I, I, to me, it, it just gets better and better. Um, because if Denver, he reflected on the sitting question. It's almost like, you know, Jesus reflected on that. 
It's in the house of a famous Pharisee, one of the Pharisees. doesn't say it, which one. In, I think it's in Luke 19. But uh, no, it's not. It's not Luke 19. He sits down and he watches, the, watches everybody come in. And, and, and in many, many cultures, where you sit is culturally defined. It's defined by your status, by it, and everybody knows where everybody belongs. It's not, there's not confusion about this. Maybe they're a little bit like, well, I really belong there, and he's kind of stage, upstaging me. And there might be stuff like that going on. So Jesus is watching, and he says something really comical. Because I picture him with his eye on this beautiful throne he's on now. This is what he says to the, everybody around him. You know, you should watch out. You should be careful where you sit. Well, you might have sat in somebody else's seat, somebody more important to, than you. And guess what? You might have to get up and move and be embarrassed in front of everybody. Now, the chuckle here, the chuckle, the chuckle in the back of Christ's throat, the chuckle that's obvious is that they haven't seated him. You see? <laughs> they, they invite him into the dinner. They haven't given Jesus the place of honor, even though he is what? The king of all kings. And he hasn't been seated properly. And I love this idea of Jesus kind of almost, almost with a sly smile. Saying, you should be careful, everybody. You should be careful. You should be careful what seats you try to sit in. I love that. And it's as if he had an eye on the fact that he would be seated. There's a pure comedy in it. And the, the, the Apostles' Creed even mentions it. What do we say every week? Seated at the right hand. God the Father Almighty. From the origins of the church, the idea of Christ being seated was a fulfillment and a certainty of his absolute power, of his sovereign will extending over all things. Praise him. Praise him. And there's something really beautiful about this that it gets even better. Does anybody know what the name of Jesus' throne is? His, name, his throne has a name. Does anybody remember what the name of Jesus' throne is? It says he's enthroned between the cherubim. That's, a, that, that's, a, that's a, a, a clue. Jesus reigns from the mercy seat. His, he is enthroned grace. He is enthroned love. And that is now the deciding acting power that burns the sun and decides your destiny and mine is decided by a God enthroned, a God-man enthroned. And his seat is grace. Wow! Grace enthroned. What is the acting principle by which all things are known and determined? Well, it's the love of God for his people. Right? For all, for, because... All those who've been called according to his purpose, they are the people loved in the grip of that love, the coming from that loving throne. Oh, how wonderful. And so the first thing we find from this is a deep encouragement about the absolute sovereignty of Jesus, that he is the king, he is enthroned now. It begins by offering us tremendous confidence in the finished work of Jesus Praise him. I just praise him and adore him. Thank him and go to him. There's something about this, that, that this idea of just being seated and the, quiet, the beautiful, quiet certainty of it that's being preached to us, it's being demonstrated to us, it's being offered to us. The idea of finished victory. Um, do you guys ever see pulpit furniture? I think, do you guys have that here at all? Uh, is, that, is that, Carol, is, you guys do have those things, right? Uh, I've never seen them. 
I remember the first time I had to sit in one. It's the weirdest feeling to sit, but I had so wanted to ever since I, once, ever since I was a kid and I was, knew I was going to be a preacher, I really wanted to sit in one of those big, important chairs. I thought it was going to be like the crowning of my career. I don't know what it was. I remember, and I remember, though, the first time I sat in one, it was the awkwardest, most weird feeling ever. You realize you're sitting in a chair and it's supposed to be a seat, it's supposed to be comfortable, but you're sitting and you're on display in front of everybody. It's a very odd and disturbing feeling. But for every one of these positions, I want to call you to some joy in it. Because you remember, in him, you're seated too. Every one of the postures has promises about God's love it gives, but then it invites you. It invites you in. It invites you into who he is. It invites you to participate because in him, in him, Paul goes on to describe Gina as seated in the heavens. And glory. And what? Praise him. And you see, in, the, in, the, in these postures, are not only the, the, the pictures of what, God, what it is Christ is doing everywhere with the riddle of how his body interacts with his eternity, his infinity, but then the riddle gets a little bit better because then you're included. You've been given authority. You know, I, uh, this idea of being given authority, when we're going we're to finish up, uh, every worship we finish up with a doxology. And uh, the doxology, English doesn't have this, but it's there. English doesn't have it in a way that we can really grasp it, but Praise him above ye, praise him all ye creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. You know what we're doing as a church right there? We're sitting on a throne. And we're calling all of creation to worship and praise God. We get to do that. When I did it last week for my dad's funeral, I realized for the first time now, I was saying it to mom and dad. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. And when I do it tonight, that's who I'm going to be thinking about. <laughs> that's who I'm calling on. But this idea, we, we, it's almost invisible to us, right? It's almost invisible to us that we go and chatter with a God. Or we go and, we, and, we, and, 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 and demons run from us if we just resist them. And, and, we, and all of this grandeur has been given to us. And when we call, and when a call of worship comes out from Joyce, and comes out from this pulpit, and any pulpit that truly knows God, guess what? Angels pay attention. Creation pays attention. Even though San Francisco seems to not care at all. That's another matter. Don't be deluded by those things. The truth is we've been given and dressed with real authority, and it just gets better. So that's, for, that's Jesus being seated. What about Jesus, this idea of Jesus interceding? Because Jesus is interceding, we know we're heard. But there's just something about this. I, 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 there's something about, oh, so I told you Matthew's face down the ground and then kneeling. Oh, by, just a little note for y'all. I've heard this said years ago, and I think it's kind of funny. But nowhere, nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does God ever tell people to sit down and pray. It's kind of funny. It's all the posture we're all in. <laughs> it is, it's not the posture we're ever told to pray in kind of funny but it's always kneeling face down or sometimes standing in prayer that also happens in the scripture but this idea of kneeling interceding i i, I guess the reason i don't want to say i the bible doesn't tell us that jesus kneels in heaven 
but it tells us he intercedes. It says it in Hebrews. It says it again in Romans 8. And, and it describes to us this second posture. I see, I see Christ kneeling in my heart. But whatever the posture is, it's a posture of submission. Because to intercede is to serve, is to submit, isn't it? It's not a posture of power. Interceding is a posture of supplication. I need something. Can you do this for me? This second picture of Jesus, we're very, very familiar with it. But I realized it happens in two directions. Because every time I think of Jesus' posture, you see him standing there, and we see him seated as we just saw, um, uh, and we see him seated in the Sermon on the Mount, but there's two times in the Bible when Jesus kneels. Does anybody remember the second time he kneels? He kneels when he prays. When else does he kneel? He kneels when he washes his disciples' feet. There's almost like two directions the kneeling can go. It can go to God. It can go to others. Because kneeling, interceding, is an act of what? It's an act of service, humility, and grace. Now, the second part, the second humility of Jesus, the second part of his work on earth, here on earth, was just the beginning of his work in heaven, that he serves both God and us in his interceding. Did you hear that? I, something about this that seems kind of beautiful to me. First, we know, I invite you, you get to pray in and pray with him. And this is a little, this is something that I've gotten excited about lately. Um, you know, Jesus taught you to pray. He taught you to pray, Tim. He told you, what did he teach you to pray? He taught you to pray, Tim. He taught you to say this, our Father. As if he was saying, Tim, he's our dad. Let's go together. And you should always think that when you pray, that Jesus taught you to say, our Father, with him. That's, that's remarkable. And then this idea that as Jesus, as your knee goes down, Jesus' knee's right there next to you. Like, like, it's that real of a connection between his activity and yours. But I, something I, I, I experienced lately is that uh, I kind of came to an end of, when I got super discouraged and I struggled with despair or I'm getting depressed, I won't know what to pray. Have you read that? I just really, really feel stupid in prayer. I mean, just dumb as a rock in prayer. It's just, uh, it's one of, the, one of the places you can feel moronic. Sometimes you feel moronic because you feel like you're talking to wood or talking to the air or something. You can feel kind of awkward if you pray out loud. I encourage you to pray out loud, by the way. It's a good practice because it really accentuates that feeling, and that's good for you to feel that. It's good for you to feel it. It's good for you to get the weirdness out. But um, I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, uh, oh, oh I know what I was going uh, to share with you. Uh, this happened last year when I really got discouraged. And I started doing this. I don't know if I shared this with anybody. I'm sure I have. I, I share it with you, Corey. Um, began to pray. Hey, Jesus, I'm praying whatever you're praying. <laughs> I, just, I pray against God. I've got a habit of it. I, in fact, whenever I get stymied, I got, I got stopped tonight. And I, my heart's kind of like all over the place. And I, and I get afraid I'm going to preach poorly because, you know, I get really insecure about that kind of stuff, and I'm sitting there, I don't even know how to get through things, and I, and I just get to my end, and I, you know, and, I, and I feel like I don't know what they can say, and I just go, Father, I know Jesus is praying. Whatever he's praying, that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I'm going to pray. I know you hear him. <laughs> you hear him, it's crystal, not just hear him, he always prays right. 
I don't have to worry. And so it's not that I can't insert my will. I know our Heavenly Father loves to hear what his kids want. He loves it. I don't have to be false modesty and say, oh, I don't want to put my will in there. No, no, it's nothing to do with that. It has to do with the idea of getting to the end of knowing what's right and what's good and what's wise. Haven't you all been there? We've all been there lately. We've all gotten to the end of things like that. But this idea of Jesus interceding, I just feel like it's a place I can, it's like a little hidey hole. I can run inside, I can run inside, and I can just sit there and go, okay, okay, Father, whatever Jesus just said, I'm with it. Thumbs up, ditto, whatever you got to say, repeat, <laughs> repeat, because I don't know what to pray. I do it all the time now, and it felt, I feel like it's been an escape hatch in my heart because of this teaching. But here, I want you to hear this, though. Remember, he kneels before his father. I think he kneels before our Father in heaven. But I love this idea that we forget that Jesus is pleased to serve us. It's one of his joys. I don't want to stand for the King of Kings, seated and enthroned on the mercy seat, coordinating what happens to the Arendelle star and us and all things and Putin and everybody else. And here he is, serving. I, uh, I remember, you know, how does Jesus serve you? I don't know. Did you eat today? How many people ate today? All hands are going to go out there. Everyone's saying. How's the mitochondria in your body doing? How's your, how's your mitochondria functioning, Jack? As far as you can tell, it's pretty good, isn't it? You don't really worry about it much, do you? Why? Because Jesus has got control of it. He doesn't have to worry about it. There's an idea here that Jesus is serving us. It says in Hebrews 1 that he upholds the universe by the strength of his power. He maintains it. So the atoms flying around here, the atoms are in my hand, the molecules, they cohere and in here because he loves me. That's why. I don't live in, a, I don't live in an amoral, indifferent universe. I live in the cherished hand of my Savior. Praise him. And he serves me. And he thinks nothing of it. He serves you. <laughs> what a savior. What a posture. What an attitude. <laughs> if you ever catch me as your pastor not being willing to serve you, you better rebuke me. Because I'm not acting anything like my savior, am I? Not at all. Let this attitude be in all of us that was in Christ Jesus. Read Philippians 2. It'll, be, it'll, it'll open it all up. But my last one, my last one is probably my favorite. Just personally. I have a favorite posture of Jesus. And that's him standing. Why? Well, he's described as standing. Daniel sees him as standing. This is what Daniel says in Daniel 7. I saw one like a son of man, and he approached the ancient of days. Who the heck approaches the ancient of days. Well, it winds up that Daniel is seeing Jesus before Jesus is a thing, before he's the God-man. He's still the son. And what is this approaching? Oh, I've learned about that. What's this standing that he approaches? Because remember, a king, a king doesn't have to stand up. Why? He's got servants to stand up for him. He's got servants to get his water. He, a king, as somebody enters the, king, the throne room, the king doesn't stand up, does he? 
Why would the king ever stand up? There's something important to do. Or somebody more important than him had come in the room. There's something important to do. Or somebody more important than him has come into the room. Let's cover the first point, something to do. Daniel says he approached the Ancient of Days. You know what Hebrews 9 says? He entered a tabernacle not made by human hands. When Christ is on the cross, dying on the, on, on the Roman torture device, his blood spilling on the earth, that was not the only place, the extra Calvinisticum, that he could operate locally and eternally at the same time it was happening there. And we are told, Hebrews gives us an insight, that he was in the heavenlies entering the holy of holies of a tabernacle that Moses only glimpsed. There was a pattern of everything afterward. Why does he stand in glory? To do the work of saving our souls from sin. Praise Him. Of being a perfect sacrifice for sin. Praise Him. That's what He got work to do. Of course Jesus stands in glory. Of course He's standing. Because He is the great worker of His own righteousness, of His own kingdom, of His own victory. Mm, good stuff, huh? Exciting. That's wonderful. I love that picture. But it gets even better than that. Because what's the second reason a king might stand? Well, to greet, to greet somebody greater than him, or perhaps even an equal. And this gets back to mercies and wonders and grace that, that I, I don't know how to grasp. Because you know, he stands, the first time we hear him standing really clearly, with Stephen. So Stephen, Stephen has just given his speech to everybody. I don't know if you know the story in Acts. And he's, it was one of the longest chapters in the Bible. One of the longest sermons in the Bible, too. And um, he, uh, he suddenly has a vision. And he tells everybody what it is. Right in front of him. He, I, he's not even thinking. You can tell it kind of slipped out. He didn't mean to just say it. He was like, oh my gosh, I see, the I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. Everybody else says he was seated. Why is he standing there? And then we're introduced to something that just breaks my heart and kind of breaks my soul in a way with its beauty. Well, he's standing up to greet Stephen. <laughs> Stephen is his brother. You see, like it, the king is risen for somebody he considers an equal. He is honoring Stephen. He honors us. The he stands for us. When my dad goes to glory, you know what? You know, I know what happened. Jesus got up. That's what he does for his sons. He gets up to welcome them. Praise him. What else does he do it? When John sees him in Revelation. Was that the passage that John was talking about? And in John, when John sees him in Revelation 1, what's he doing? He's standing in his glory. And John goes even a step further because John falls at his feet as though dead. John's terrified. And you know what it says? The same thing it says in Matthew 8 when he came down off the mountain. When he came down off the mountain and touched the disgusting leper. And what does he do? He reaches out and he touches John. Don't be afraid. I was dead and now I'm alive forever. I hold the death of death and keys of death and Hades. <laughs> I am the Alpha and the Omega. 
praise him. This final picture of Christ's posture is my favorite because he stands up. He stands up from his throne to welcome his children into glory. And I don't, I don't know why he would honor you, us that way, but he does. That's because he sits on a throne called grace. Makes sense, doesn't it? Why would you get up a throne called mercy? Well, just to show more of that mercy and your love for your people, for your children. <laughs> and in the end, if we're in him, it says at the, at the end of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, that after doing everything, you'll be able to stand. Why? Because he is able to make you stand. Because in him, in his standing, we can stand too. When all the chips are down and everything goes wrong. <laughs> that's, that's the meditation. So I, I was thinking, my, one of my images I had was, I don't know if you caught this or not, but prone, seated in a squat and standing. I kind of pictured Jesus doing burpees. <laughs> kind of pictured Jesus doing the burpee thing. For us. I, there's nothing irreverent about that picture, is there? Because Jesus exercised himself for the salvation of Spencer. And Leila and me, yes, praise him. There's nobody like him. And this idea that in his posture can irradiate meaning to us right here today. Praise him. Um, you know, I was thinking of uh, tonight, and the reasons I want to explain it to you, and kind of even alongside that, that uh, burpee image is, I thought about, uh, the kids, the kids uh, song where they, they try to teach children body parts. Head, fingers, knees, and toes, knees, and toes, and thing. That's what this is teaching us, right? Is, did I do it right? Head, shoulders. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Never really was good with body parts. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so I knew there was another part in there. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. What did I say? Fingers? Anyway. Anyway, I feel like that's what this whole sermon has been. It's been to teach you, to teach you, I'll teach those children. These pictures of Jesus' posture are so childlike, aren't they? A, a child knows what it is when a parent, when, a, when an adult's standing. A child knows what it means to sit when somebody's sitting down. A child knows when somebody's kneeling or lying down, what that means. And I had this picture that taking Jesus through his burpees together, kind of seeing all these different postures that he takes on our behalf and in heaven and in glory before his own father forever in his body. Well, we're like little kids, aren't we? And we're just learning this stuff. And let's invite the Holy Spirit to, to take the postures of Jesus and not only, not only give us joy in them, but make them ours. Make them him burpeeing in us. <laughs> as we worship. Let's pray. Oh, dearest Father, I praise you that your Son is seated at your right hand. That there is a glory and a majesty and an authority that he has because he is finished. Death defeated. Satan on the run. Eternal life now. Jesus, I, I don't know when we'll get to see your real body. I, 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 I kind of can't wait. I, I can't wait to see it. 
thank you that you have a real body because it means that there's hope for our bodies too. Will you take us, take us into the place of glory, Father, and, and show us Jesus' postures, your son's postures, the way they, they, that are life to us and how they, they apply everywhere. And, and help us, Father. I, I, just, I, ask for, I ask for Jesus, Father, your son, to be, I don't know, kneeling and sitting and standing in me and through me and through all of us. We ask for that work by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.